Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Rob Ridgway. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. I appreciate you having me on. Certainly. I look forward to this conversation. It's an interesting one and it got my attention. And so Rob's going to share his inspiring story rather, uh, of turning an idea for a board game into what is now a very successful business, including the seemingly, from my perspective, insurmountable obstacles that he faced along the way. Uh, if you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Rob Ridgway is an inventor and a small business owner. He's the inventor of Spontunius, the song game, and we'll be talking about this board game if you're not familiar with it, and how he came up with this idea about 10 years ago. At the time, he was selling business insurance and decided he was going to get into the business of selling a board game, which sounds crazy, but, but that's what he's done. He's, his game reached number one on Amazon during the holiday season, the past two seasons. But the story's not full of all fun and games. You get that? Uh, though, <laughs> though it is a truly inspiring for anyone interested in taking an idea like he had from nothing to a multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar business, probably billion dollars soon, but to a multi-million dollar business. Uh, Rob lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And so once again, Rob Ridgway, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So uh, in clarifying some of the notes, you, you clarified that you grew up in a, on a farm and a ranch in Montana, and then you, you studied uh, agricultural business, animal science, and then went on to get an MBA in marketing. So tell me about those early days. What, what did you think you'd end up uh, being when you grew up? Well, I pretty much always thought I was going to uh, be a rancher, farmer rancher. Um, you know, I, I grew up on a pretty large working ranch in central Montana and uh, went to school, at Montana State University for, like you said, agricultural business and economics and animal science. And um, that was my plan was to go back and and do that and um, ended up going and uh, getting my MBA there shortly after undergrad, but still was planning on coming back. And um, I did for about, I think I was there for two months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it just did not work out. So, okay. Uh, but so, but a whole undergrad, all that time, you must've had the at least a suspicion that that's really not what you wanted to do. I mean, honestly, I'm thinking back to, you know, all the, the job fairs that my friends used to go to and I would laugh. Really? Just, you know, think about, you know, how that must be tough to, to go out and try to figure out what you wanted to do. Cause I had it figured out and that's what I planned on doing. And wow, I didn't go to any job fairs and, um, uh, didn't really put any thought into doing anything else. That yeah. was, you know, what I was kind of um, trained to do my whole entire life. So, yeah. So, so was there one thing that happened or how is it that it so quickly hit you? This is not what I want to do. <laughs> uh, I think the writing was on the wall for a long time uh, to me and, and, you know, everybody else in the family, my, my father's not an easy guy to work for as with, uh, any uh ranch dad uh, have you ever seen the the show the ranch have you seen uh, the, it's a comedy comedy ish show with yeah. kutcher yep yep it's very accurate we actually just finished it the other <laughs> um but uh, yeah i recommend that if you if you have want any insight onto into uh that relationship between the father and son uh, on a farm and ranch and all my friends were the same way and um it's it's difficult there's just it's it's pretty hard to, to please the old man, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. And I, I, I've heard that before, not just as it relates to farming or ranching, but taking over a parent's business, uh, it, it's, it's usually there's that challenge because usually the, the father's not quite ready to let go, right? But you're ready. You're ready to, to, to be the boss, to take it on. And uh, there's always a lot of conflict there. Yep, they're definitely not open to 
any ideas but their own. So sure, yeah. Related to that, I'm just I'm fascinated right now by a um, uh, short documentary series by Ken Burns on the Dust Bowl. I don't know if you've seen that, but it, it covers no, yet. of course the the famous Dust Bowl period. It didn't quite hit up this north as you or family was, but consumed most of Kansas and the Panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma. And it's just a well done documentary on just the struggles of farmers in general, but of course of that specific era, and how how hard it can be to uh, make a living doing that. I'll have to check that out. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Of course, you're familiar with Ken Burns. He's done other series. He did the World War II series he's famous for. So it's extremely well done. Um, all right. So when you decided the ranching wasn't for you, is that when you went into the insurance business or was there something before that? No, actually, uh, I, I had moved to Billings, Montana and got into banking because I, I really didn't like I said, I hadn't put a lot of thought into what else I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started applying for jobs at banks around Billings, Montana. And of course, everybody wanted me to start off as a teller making minimum wage. And I'm like, man, I just uh, <laughs> spent a lot of my life in college and, and got my MBA and all this. And, you know, you want me to start as a teller. And finally, there was one bank that uh, a small local bank created a, a credit analyst position for me. And uh, that's why I started started working for them. And a year later, I uh, got scooped up by U.S. Bank and went over and basically did the same thing for them and kind of uh, quickly moved into uh, relationship manager, which is basically like a commercial lender. Uh, so I did that. And then um, I could see the writing on the wall there that you'd have to be in banking the rest of your life to make any money at all. And uh, in fact, I think after my first... Uh, raise, I realized there was less than the rate of inflation. So oh, wow. that's, that's when I um, had listened to a speaker about um, the strength finder. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so there was a, there was a gal that like find your strengths now or something. There's a book. I know I read the book uh, yep. related to that. I think it's called strength finder 2.0. Yeah. There you go. That's released it. by the, the Gallup organization. That's right. And um, I realized there that you know, a lot of these companies are, they're hiring people and trying to shove them into that box, hmm. uh, of, you know, for whatever they're needing to get done. And, and they try to, you know, they send them to classes and try to improve their weaknesses. And that's really all they focus on. And strength finders really saying, Hey, we need to look at the strengths of an individual and create a position around that. And then wherever they fall short, you hire somebody else that is strength is strong in, in those areas uh, to supplement them. And so the book really, I think it has like 36 possible strengths and it, uh, you take the, the little online quiz or whatever, and it spits out, you know, what your top five strengths are. And I don't remember all of them, but my first one was a uh, competitor and um, you know, that's a, a telltale sign of a salesperson. And then um, the second one was woo, which stood for win others over. And again, that really uh, fits well with a salesperson. And so I, I realized I'm in the wrong industry in banking and that's, I, you know, I just need to be in sales. And so I thought, well, I'll take this two years of uh, experience that I got in banking and all the uh, relationships that I've built in the, in the area and, and move into something that uh, similar. And, and that's why I chose uh, insurance. Mm. And you did that for uh, how long? I did that for about, I think it was a total of three and a half years. Okay. And it was, uh, it was interesting. I, I, and I was good at it, but I just, I didn't like what I was doing. I kind of, mm -hmm. honestly, I felt like I was selling fear. Yeah. And that, Do you think you were good at sales? Is just, you realized not that kind of sales? Yeah, I've, I've been good in sales my whole life, clear back to, I think, first time I sold stuff was in fourth grade for, you know, raising money for our soccer team. And I <laughs> selling those, so world's finest chocolate candy bars, <laughs> Yep. you know, so I, oh, I yeah. was the top seller for that. And then, you know, junior high, we sold Christmas tree ornaments and candy uh, and was top seller both my seventh and eighth grade year there. And then again, my... Uh, I think it was my junior year in high school, we sold magazines and 
again, I crushed it and was the top seller. And so I've always been good in sales. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I think you're just kind of wired that way, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I grew up around adults and was um, always taught to look people in the eye and talk to them. And, you know, I've just been a real social person. So, um, and I like, I, like, you know, I'm, I'm a competitor. I, I, I like winning. And when you sell something, I'm sure there's others out there listening to this. They know that you get this kind of rush when, when you close a deal. It's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, in, in baseball, if you get a hit or in football, you catch a pass, you know, it's, it's very similar to, to that feeling that you get uh, when you make a play in sports too. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So uh, you're in this sales job, selling insurance, you're not, you're growing more and more dissatisfied with what you're selling. And that's around the time this idea comes to you. Tell us a little bit about that story of how the idea came to be. Yeah. So it actually started about a year before the actual idea came about. And I was uh, hanging out in uh, my colleague's office, Doug Jensen, and it, this is selling insurance. And I, I walked in there, I'd been there about a year and a half at the time. And I said, man, Doug, people uh, really don't like buying insurance, do they? And he's like, <laughs> no, not at all, man. And, and uh, I said, uh, they don't like buying or they don't like uh, insurance agents either. And he's like, yeah, we're kind of like used car salesmen. And we both are laughing. And it's like, I wish, you know, I just feel like we're I'm selling fear and wish I could sell something that you know, people liked. And of course he was joking, but he said, uh, well, you can always be a drug dealer. <laughs> and I, I started laughing. I was like, well, I was thinking more on the legal side, but uh, I said, you're kind of onto something there. I said, you know, why do people do drugs? And, you know, he said, well, I guess it, they think it makes them feel happy. And I was like, well, that's, I would agree with that. So I just need to figure out a way to, you know, find happiness and, and sell legal happiness. So mm -hmm. how can, how can I box up happiness and sell that? And, you know, he's like, yeah, good luck with that. And so I went back to work and about a year later, um, I was hanging out one day with some family and friends and my stepsister actually said, Hey, we're going to go to the mountains tomorrow if you want to go. And her friend just jumped in and started singing, ain't no mountain high enough. And we all started laughing about how often we do that. Mm -hmm. hear, hear a word and a song pops in your head. And I thought, you know, I'm making an awesome board game. And as soon as I said that, I realized that that was the box of happiness I had been looking for a year mm -hmm. ago. And so we just started throwing out words, you know, to see if somebody could come up with a song that had that word in it. And it was awesome. Like it was a lot harder to stump, um, you know, the other players than you, than you would think. And virtually every single word that somebody said, there was somebody that came up with a song that had with that song. Hey, you know, I have a question on the rules of the game there that, that I don't quite understand. I have not played the game yet. So let me say that, but um, do, do I use like my phone to validate that the lyrics that I'm singing are real or how does that work in the game? Or how is it supposed to work? Or does it matter? You know, usually when you get a group of people, they're, you know, someone's going to recognize it and, and, you know, kind of validate. But I yeah, see. That, okay. That's so that's generally the rule. Somebody says, yeah, it says that's good or not. Right. Most, most of them will end up that way every now and then. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to uh, go to the phone and, and look up the lyrics. But okay. Okay. Not every single and time. And of course, depending on, you know, what is, what else has been consumed might be, uh, makes it even more fun in that regard, I suspect. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'm with you there. You've got this idea. Can, can you think back to it and feel like you had no doubt you were going to run, run with it and move forward with this idea? Yeah. I, um, you know, after we kind of tested it that day and uh, literally that, that next Monday morning, I come running back into Doug's office <laughs> and, you know, flung the door open and did kind of the Kramer slide in there. And I was like, <laughs> I got it, happiness. And, and he looked at me like I was crazy and he's like, what, what are you talking about? And I said, uh, happiness. I figured out how to, you know, box up happiness and sell it. And I started, told him about what happened and he's like, man, I think you figured it out. 
And so, you know, I, I just go home and I would think about it and try to poke holes in the idea. And I did that and for about just, a month. Did you draft the rules or how did you kind of flesh out the idea? Not yet at that point. I really okay. had just, uh, I was just brainstorming through, you know, everything that I could think of, how will this work? And, you know, like I said, can I figure out a way to poke a hole in it? Mm -hmm. and every time I'd, um, you know, come up with what I thought would poke a hole in it, I could, I figured out a way around that. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, that was about a month or so that that took. And at that point I, I decided, all right, this is, um, this is worthwhile pursuing. And I think, I think it was also about that time that I had gone on um, a nine-day uh, trek, uh, the Salcante trek in, to Machu, Machu Picchu. Oh. And so I kind of got away from society and, you know, uh, electronics and, and all that noise that we experienced. And so I had a lot of time to think there. And, um, you know, a, a friend of mine actually had bet me that I couldn't carry my five pound pack with me along the way. And, and it was only a hundred dollar bet, but I, was, I took it and, um, I ended up doing it. My guide thought I was crazy, but the whole time, you know, I'm thinking, and I was not in shape for this. It was, you know, uh, it, it was, it was tough, uh, but it was, it was all in my head, you know? And at the end of that whole trek, I remember thinking, man, if I could do that, if I could climb that mountain with a, 35 pound pack on my back and not be in shape for it at all, you know, I can create a board game. And one of the questions that kept popping into my head was, you know, if I'm sitting, you know, on my, my porch in a rocking chair when I'm 80 years old and I'm looking back at life and saying, God, you know, I had this idea for this board game. Um, I wish I would have tried it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I, if I asked myself that question, would I regret it? And the answer to that was, was resounding, yes, I would. And so I kind of made up my mind on that trip that I did not want to live my life with any regrets. And so that was kind of the, the turning point when I said, all right, I'm doing it. Yeah, and, that's I, and I can do it. And then, uh, I mean, I know your buddy at work said yes. Uh, did that circle of friends that you had gone to on that trip, did they think it was a good idea? Tell me about kind of how much pushback or or maybe not you had from the people around you you know um, Doug Jansen uh, my colleague at, at the insurance company was a cheerleader from day one and uh, I can't thank him enough because I would go into his office every morning at eight o'clock and we'd have coffee from eight till nine and we just would talk about you know the latest revelations of you know things that happened sometimes just you know over the last 24 hours with the development of spontaneous and um he he's been an awesome cheerleader for me throughout the whole thing still is he's still my insurance agent and i can't say enough about him and i had a lot of other friends who were you know great like that too um and that certainly helps but you know it's the ones that that are naysayers that uh if you surround yourself with them they'll take you down yeah. and so i I quickly kind of pushed them away and uh, tried to tried to surround myself with the people that believed in me. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's a great insight. I, I think though that maybe to a little bit because of your competitive nature, that, that those naysayers kind of fuel you a little bit to say, I'm going to prove you wrong. Or are you more the type that you compete against yourself more than anybody else? Absolutely. Uh, my number one naysayer was my own father. And, you know, I, I remember my, my uncle had told me that uh, he told him that when he found out about you know, this board game idea that I was doing, um, my father had said that that's the dumbest idea he had ever heard of and that nobody plays board games anymore and it was not going to work. Mm. And so I harnessed that negative energy and tried to like, you know, do some jujitsu judo or whatever you want to call it and and use that energy and turn it into a positive i used it to motivate myself to like you said prove him wrong yeah how what does he think about it now if he's still with us you know um i'm sure he's heard about it i i don't have a relationship with him but uh we'll probably talk about it here later but uh i 
had bought an RV and named uh, my tour the the mic drop tour, and that was kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a, a you know shot yes, at him. Yeah, like, statement. Hey. Look at look at what I've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike's and naysayers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So at that point, uh, you start running with this idea. Did it? How did you think through then? I'm going to make a business out of this, or am I just going to try to sell the idea? Did it start to crystallize for you that this was going to be a business or it was just going to be a side hustle? What was your thinking then? You know, I did a lot of research about board games because obviously I didn't know much about that industry at all. And I I found out quickly that there's two ways to go about it. Either you uh, self-publish it and do everything yourself and take it to market, all that, or you can try to license it out to another company and, and have them publish it. Right. Like you know, licensed it to a Hasbro or a Mattel or, you know, whoever it might be. And the, the risk in doing that is, you know, they might take your idea. Uh, they promise you, Oh yeah. We, you know, here's what uh, you make for every game that we sell and all that. And problem is, is that they might just set it on a shelf and not do anything with it. They don't, they might not put a lot of effort into it. And so they could tie it up and, and you just basically gave them an idea and nothing happened with it. The, the other route was, you know, self-publishing it. And that way you have full control over everything. And, you know, I, as an entrepreneur, I wanted to have control over it and I wanted to determine my own destiny with it. Yeah. And so that's after the research, that that's the decision you made was to self-publish. Is that correct? Yes. And so just to kind of get an idea of the time frame, from the time you got the idea to now getting ready to have it developed, what are we looking at time-wise? It was August 2nd, 2009 that I had the idea. And on August 2nd, 2010, I flew to Michigan um, to the factory where I had them produced. And, and I had my first, I signed, so I had 5,000 games made and I signed the first 500 games that came off the line exactly one year to the day. Wow. That's <laughs> exciting. Um, that process of finding somebody to produce it, was that a hard process? Just tell me briefly about that. Yeah. You know, in my research, I, you know, obviously was looking at other board games and stuff like that. And one of the games we played growing up was the farming game. And I actually called the number on the side of the box They had an 800 number. And uh, the lady picked up the phone and she's like, hi, this is Ann. And you with the farming game and she's like yeah and and, uh so i I, you know told her my name and what i was doing and asked her if i could just get a few moments of her time to uh, give me some advice and she agreed and one of the pieces of of advice that she gave me was to go to toy fair in new york Mm. and so i took off and and went there in uh, mid-february of 2010 i'm assuming yeah uh, 2010 and just did a lot of networking. And that's where I met uh, my original uh, manufacturer. Okay. Yeah. So that timing was good that that, that, that show happened. Right. Um, all right. And you, you had how many uh, manufactured the first round? I had 5,000 games manufactured. 5,000. Okay. Yep. All right. So tell me about how you funded getting that done. I'm assuming that, that they want payment for all 5,000 up front or were there some kind of flexible terms? Uh, what, what can you share about that? Yeah, they, they definitely wanted uh, payment, especially for a new guy coming in. But, right. Uh, um, this was this kind of a cool story. Uh, I mentioned that I had worked at U.S. Bank, and uh, I had told my former boss there that uh, I had come up with this board game idea, and I might be uh, hitting him up at some point for a loan. And so one day I finally walked in there and was like, hey, Bill, uh, you know, I, I'm ready for a loan, and and he asked me how much I was thinking I'd need. And I, I told him, I said, well, I think it's going to be close to a quarter million. And he kind of laughed at me and he <laughs> said, uh, do you have any collateral? And I was like, eh, not really. And he said, do you have a business plan? And I grabbed a piece of paper off his desk and I, I literally drew two stick figures, one with Bill handed money to Rob. And I pushed it over back across to him. And I said, there's my plan. I said, you're going to give me money and I'm going to pay you back. And he goes, you realize no other bank in the world would make you this loan right now because this is right after the crash. Right. And I said, I know. And he said, don't screw it up. 
All right, so he lent you money based entirely on him knowing you and trusting your character. Absolutely. Wow, how did he get that through the through committee? I mean, uh, he must have had quite a bit of influence there. He was the head of credit for all of Montana and Wyoming. Wow, <laughs> wow. So that ended up being a great connection, no doubt. All right, so so that's how you funded that initial manufacturing run. Is that right? Yep. Um, all right, so so you still had your your insurance job at this point. Right after it was like September of 2010, I actually came back and asked my boss to go to coffee and um, told him the news that I was, you know, thinking about leaving to, to start up my own business. And, and he said, uh, well, what are you going to do? And I, I told him, you know, I'm, I invented a board game and, and he about fell out of his chair. <laughs> um, and he said, are you sure you want to do this? Like, do you want to just, you know, take off the, the fourth quarter and, and then come back um, after Christmas. And I said, no, I'm, I'm done. I, I hated selling insurance that bad that that was kind of another thing that motivated me was, you know, that was the, the other thing that I could do to make money and I didn't want to do it. So. So um, did you have some money saved up or was the loan also included some money for you to pay your bills? How, how did you get through financially then that you were able to leave the job? Well, in, in insurance, you build a book of business. And right. so basically I negotiated with my boss and said, um, here's the deal. I'm quitting right now. Um, but I want you guys to pay me for, through the end of the year. And in exchange for that, I will make sure that you get very warm handoffs uh, to all my clients uh, so that you uh, maintain the business. Uh, and and that was, was that early in, I understand that was early in 2010 when you got back from the show. Is that more or less kind of yeah, first, that was first quarter timeframe? First of September. Oh, that was first of September. Right. So another, so you really were only getting another three months worth of income if I'm following you correctly. Yep. And then, and then you were on your own. Uh, four, four months. Yep. Four months. Yeah. Do, do you think that was necessary for you looking at it back as another motivator for you to either make this work or not? Absolutely. Um, if you've ever read the book, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. he talks about burning all your bridges, right? So there's no way to retreat. And I had just listened to the, the CDs of that book uh, while I was traveling around trying to sell mm -hmm. insurance and on long road trips. And I just listened to that and realized that if I'm going to do this, I can't give myself any way to retreat why I did it. I, I, I work really good under pressure. Yeah. So when people ask you now, you know, should I do this as a side hustle and a lot that's become very popular as a way to either get started or to have another form of income. What are your thoughts on that? You know, everybody's different and everybody has different, uh, you know, I'm, I didn't have a, you know, a, a family, you know, a wife or kids or anything like that. And so, you know, my debt was, pretty minimal at the time. Um, so, and I knew myself and, and what I thought I, I knew the idea, I believed in it, I believed in myself. Um, so for me, that was the way to go. But for a lot of people, I, you know, they might not be the way to go. Um, you got to take that all into consideration. Yeah, well said. That makes sense. All right. It was just yourself and no business partners, nobody else in the business. Uh, the only partner that I really had, and he was more of a silent partner, was the artist that designed um, the box, Mark Johnson, also another Billings guy. And, um, you know, at the time I didn't, obviously didn't have, I was trying to cut my costs as much as possible. And I, I gave him an option. I said, oh, well, I can either pay you your, uh, your rate, hourly rate, or I can give you a, a you know, a 1% of uh, spontaneous. And if it ever takes off, then you've got some uh, residual income and he opted for that option. Okay. All right. Smart move on his part. Yeah, no doubt <laughs> as it turns out, but you know, there were some tough times before you got to the success, right? So let, let's chat a little bit about that and, and where you found yourself at some point uh, having to make a decision as whether you continued or not with this, right? Yep. So let's chat about that. Some of those setbacks that you had. I know you you came close to having to go bankrupt. Um, you had some medical issues. Where, where should we start with that? Well, I had so my first year, I opened a kiosk in Billings, Montana, um, and for just just for the fourth quarter. And you know, I sold 
close to 5,000 games there. And then after that, I decided I need to get to a bigger population. And so I moved to Austin, Texas, one, because it was very entrepreneurial friendly and two, because it had a good music scene. Mm -hmm. And so I went there. Um, I opened a, another kiosk up that Christmas, though, in Orem, Utah, because a lot of friends had told me that, hey, you know, this is uh, I had a lot of Mormon friends and they said this would be huge in the Mormon community. And so I actually went up there for just for the Christmas and did the same thing. Um, it it the problem with that was the the economy, again, was was really bad at that point. The mall was slow and the um, a lot of the families that were coming through there were really young families. So the kids weren't old enough to play. And they were literally like kicking tires on whether or not they wanted to buy a board game. <laughs> so I had, uh, I was pretty optimistic in, in how much I would sell that year. And so I ordered way too much inventory. I think I had uh, a total of 25,000 games going into Christmas. Wow. And I sold just a little over 3,000. Wow. So I had a lot of inventory left over and I went back to Austin, Texas with my tail between my legs and uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And so I started getting into retail stores at that point, you know, going to had a booth at Toy Fair and um, Astra, which is uh, a specialty retail association. Um, and then lots of the different gift shows. And so over the course of the next few years, I got into about um, 800 retail stores. Um, but the problem there was that you know, they just, board games are tough to sell, especially because the rules are lengthy and all that. And, and it really takes um, employees at these stores that know the game and are able to explain it to people. So they weren't selling through very well. And then they would turn around and they would try to sell it on Amazon and liquidate it after the Christmas season. Yeah. And so I'd go back to Toy Fair in February and buyers would come by and they, they asked how much it retailed for and, and, I said, it was $29.99. And, and they said, so wholesale's 15. I said, yeah. And they said, uh, why would I pay 15 for it when people can get it on Amazon for 18 bucks? And I would look on there and I was like, oh, well, they, they just have one unit. They didn't care. Didn't matter. Yeah. So they walk away. So I started losing a lot of business there. And then that's kind of when a, a mentor of mine in Austin had had me drop a game off at, uh, guy named Bill Fields. He was a former CEO for Walmart. And I dropped a game off at his office because he was not around. And I was at Toy Fair. Um, it was right at the end of one of the days. And I get a call from Bill. And he you know, said, hey, Rob, you know, I um, see so you dropped a game off. And I was just wondering if I could uh, help you out at all. And so I kind of told him what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And I told him I wanted to get into the Walmarts and the Targets and you know, all the big box stores. And he, you know, asked about the game and you know, how much was it just one, it just kept one game. He's like, well, first of all, you have one skew. That's going to make it really tough. You're going to have to pay for shelving. You're kind of a pay to play type thing. Yep. And they're going to require you to get millions of dollars of inventory to stock all the stores and then have backup in case they need to reorder. And if it doesn't sell, you're going to have to take it back. <laughs> I was like, other than that, it's a great deal. Yeah. He, he, yeah. And he said, I wouldn't do it for you. I was yeah. like, okay, well that's coming from, uh, mm -hmm. from you, you know, you used to run Walmart. Okay. Um, so I started thinking, well, what can I do? And I heard all these other uh, stores were talking about wanting to get uh, cards against humanity, but they couldn't get it. You know, it was not available uh, at wholesale for them to sell in their stores. And I started thinking, I'm like, how in the heck could that be? You know, like they're the number one best-selling game on Amazon. And so I started looking and they were the only, that's the only place you could get it. And they were doing that well. So that kind of sparked a light bulb in my head. And I thought, well, if they can do that, I can do that. And so I pulled out of all retail stores wow, and went strictly on Amazon and, um, uh, it definitely, I saw, you know, I, I could see it was starting to improve, but I, I was, this is about the point where I, I ran out of, I just had no more money left. Yeah. And so I, I thought, well, there's, you know, if I'm going to survive uh, this next year till Christmas, I'm going to have to get another job. 
And so I, I thought about bartending and all that. And I, someone mentioned something about pedicabbing, you know, it's kind of the, the rickshaw. Yep. Little yep. people around. Sure. And so I, I did some digging into that and I found out you can make a lot of money. And so I started doing that beginning in 2014. And within about a month, I was in the top, uh, probably, you know, five pedicabbers in Austin. <laughs> I was making, you know, four to four to 600 bucks a day, um, just pedicabbing. And, and I, you know, my head, my interest payments alone were about four grand. A I month. See. So I was able to make my interest payments and stay afloat. All I had to do was get to Christmas. Yeah. So we get to, this is the year that I actually put my first order in with my factory in China. Oh, I see. And, um, they did a rush order. It was another 5,000 games and they got it delivered. And, you know, by, I think it showed up at the port of LA by, um, November 15th. And I had a, just, I don't know, maybe 1500 games left at that point from the year before. Well, the, the unions at the port of LA were actually on strike. Amazing. This was in 2014. And so my stuff sat on a boat and did not reach Amazon until December 17th. And basically I have a window where from Black Friday, I, I ran out of all my games uh, from the previous year on Black Friday. And so fr uh, from that day, until December 17th, I had no inventory. Wow. And 85% of my revenue in a year is between Black Friday and, and December 22nd. So I had five days. Well, on Amazon, momentum is everything. Mm. And so I had no momentum and it just, it killed me. So the 2014 Christmas season was a complete bust then for you. Complete. I, yeah, I missed it. Now I, I saw the, the, the silver lining there was that I, um, had the inventory going into first quarter and I realized that January was my third best month. So that was, that was a good thing, but it was also um, the end of November, 2014 when I had this cramp in my right hand and uh, it was kind of a weird thing. And I, and I had uh, some dexterity issues and weakness in my right side or right hand. And um, I thought I must've pinched a nerve or something from pedicabbing. And right. And so I just, uh, went to, you know, a chiropractor and got massage and did acupuncture and ice baths and ibuprofen. And it just got worse. In fact, I started noticing weakness in my, my right leg, some slurred speech. And I thought, oh man, I had a stroke that day. Ooh, what I'm thinking, right. And, well, I didn't have insurance. And so I thought, well, there's nothing they can do really to, you know, I already had the stroke. And so I'll just, order lumosity and retrain my brain through neuroplasticity. <laughs> does it, does, was there anybody telling you you had to get to the doctor then or did you not tell anybody? I didn't tell anybody. That's the whole, that's the old farmer rancher to me. Of I course, think. of course, just fight. Um, yeah. So I, I just started doing that and it kept getting worse. And finally uh, there was one day I was at, uh, I went to the movie, the theory of everything. And I thought it'd be about Stephen Hawking's theories of the universe. And it turned out to be about the onset of his ALS. And uh, I walked out of there. Oh my gosh. Super depressed because mm -hmm. um, it basically his symptoms matched my symptoms. And again, I didn't tell anybody. Um, there was at that point that, you know, I just like, there's nothing you can do. Like, like ALS is a death sentence. And so we were, uh, I was riding with somebody to head and, to Costco and we went over this big overpass and I just happened to look down. I was sitting on the pass in the passenger seat and I looked down and I saw uh, the sign that said neuro Austin. And I thought, man, that's a sign <laughs> hmm. like literally and figuratively. And so I got home and I, I got my car and went there and said, I need an appointment and explained to him that I didn't have insurance and I wasn't going to my general doctor to, refer me back to them. And I just, I need an appointment. I think I have ALS. It's three symptoms. I know it's neurological. And so they got me in the next week and did a big intake. And then I went to, uh, uh, the MRI was actually scheduled for when I got back from Toy Fair. So I went to Toy Fair and I decided I didn't want to tell people there because, you know, I knew a lot of people at that point. Um, they're kind of like a family to me. 
but I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want all that negative energy of, you know, uh, Oh, you poor thing. And right. You know how that goes. And yeah, I, just, I didn't want that. So I just tried to act normal. But at that point I was really, um, stumbling around. I looked like I was drunk. Wow. Heard really bad if the lights were out and I wasn't holding on to something, I'd fall over because my balance is that bad. And so um, I got home, I got the MRI, I asked for a disc and of the MRI and went home, plopped it in my computer. And lo and behold, there was this giant round golf ball sized tumor in the center of my brain. And I was just like, yes, I've got a brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> I was, so happy. I was so happy. I know that sounds weird to people. No, out there. I, I think I get it not having been through it because at least you could identify it as something physical that maybe it could be taken care of. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, just like you're saying, there's a chance, right? Right. And from my perspective, um, you know, I didn't have ALS. So this was a good thing. And mm-hmm. uh, needless to say on March 10th, 2015, um, they, did surgery and they uh, removed it. It was benign. So that was awesome. And two days later I was out of the hospital. Um, Unfortunately, I was not able to pedicab, you know, leading January leading up to that, nor uh, afterwards until about July, but I still had the $4,000 a month in interest payments due. Yeah. So I had uh, actually, you know, started uh, dog sitting uh, on rover.com because I was, thinking about getting a border collie and I wanted to see how my lifestyle would accommodate that. Right. And so when I couldn't pedicab, I actually ramped up the, the uh, dog sitting quite a bit to the point where I was making another uh, anywhere from two to 500 bucks a day between walking dogs and dogs staying at my house. And, and then I also did Lyft and Uber. So um, I was, I was kind of scrappy that way. Yeah. Uh, It seems like you always have been though. Yeah, I I think so. And, um, you know, I think you have to put your pride aside. I mean, I I had an MBA and here I'm out, you know, pedicabbing on the streets of Austin um, with a bunch of most people that didn't have educations, you know, college educations. Now there was a lot of actors and and artists and stuff like that that were also following their dreams. But, you know, it was... uh, it was kind of a humbling experience yeah. to, to do that. Um, but I was my own boss and I had a goal and I was heading towards that. And so to okay. me, it, I thought it was, I was doing the right thing. Yeah. And so that, that's, I want to talk about that because that's my biggest question as I was doing the research and reading about everything that you went through. The question I always have is how, how did you not quit? How did you not say, you know what, it was a great idea. It was a good run, but I need to go get a job with insurance and, all that other good stuff. What kept you going on this entrepreneurial path? Uh, honestly, at the fear of failure. Uh, my, my reputation is important to me and I didn't want to let down, uh, well, Bill at US Bank because <laughs> I owed him a lot of money and I had friends I had borrowed from at that point. And, um, you know, I, and I believed in it so much. I just, I knew that it was going to work. Um, and I could see that light kind of at the end of the tunnel. And so, you know, growing up, I was, um, you know, I just, I, I learned to, to develop the, the willpower. I and mean, that's kind of the thing on the ranch is, you know, I watched my dad and my, my grandpa and they would work through anything and you're just like, wow, that's impressive. And, so I learned those skills from them and I just, I didn't want to give up. I, I was afraid to fail, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's incredible. It's inspiring. All right, we'll start to speed it up here in the essence of time, but around 2015 is when things finally start to turn for the positive. Is that right? Yeah, uh, that year it finally hit uh, number 19 on Amazon and shortly after that, uh, a friend reached out and asked me to, uh, he became lead guitarist for Blue October, and it's an a alternative rock band out of Austin, Texas. And uh, so I sponsored their tour, and, and with their endorsement, uh, it shot up to number two in 2016. 
and then in 2017 and 18, it became uh, the number one bestseller on Amazon. Fantastic. Are you profitable now? Cash flow prof- profitable now? Yeah, we have been here for I think the last four years. Mm-hmm. So the first six years were were the bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And still paying off that loan. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. So what's next? Um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I told you a little bit about the uh, the RV. Um, so I, I was inspired to buy an RV and go on my own tour after I went on tour with Blue October. Um, so I wanted to wrap my wrap that RV like I did with their bus. And um, I, I told you I, I named my tour the Mic Drop Tour. Uh, one of the reasons was obviously because it was kind of a, you know, hey, look at me now, dad. And the other one was because I have really, after the surgery, um, I realized that there's just a lot more to life than, you know, trying to take over the world and, and become the next Hasbro or, or, you know, Milton Bradley or whatever you want to call it. And so I've got this game that will literally never get old. There's always new music coming out. Uh, you're always learning new music and I'm just going to spend the rest of my life um, promoting this one game. And so that mic drop, also signifies, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one and done. I'm, I'm, I'm very content with this. I believe in it that much. And, um, you know, we'll look at expanding the brand in terms of, you know, maybe, uh, doing a lot of different stuff on radio programs and, you know, maybe a game show someday. Um, but other than that, I, I don't, I don't have any plans on yeah, no. intention to do another board game. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, all right, so we've touched on it, but give me the the quick pitch on what the game is uh, and where do I where can I buy it? Yeah, it's, so it's it's called spontaneous because <clears throat> somebody says a word and the first one to spontaneously burst into a tune would win that round. Um, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's something that millions of us already do. Um, it's a it crosses all genres of music because really, you know, a single word can be in hundreds or thousands of songs. So um, that, because of that, you can then all ages can play together. So it's a great game for, you know, family, friends, really whoever, and you don't have to know the same music. It's actually kind of fun to, to play with people like that because you, you actually learn about them mm-hmm. in terms of what kind of music they like and also, you know, what the personalities like, all that kind of thing. Um, and then the stories and the memories of different songs that come up um, make the game hilarious. So you'll, you'll also find that, uh, you know, you might, you might learn that you've been singing the wrong lyrics your entire life. <laughs> so that's always kind of fun, but, uh, right. I can yeah. see where it spawns off into all those possible uh, conversations. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what a good board game does, right? It brings people together, gets yeah. rid of the electronic devices and and you interact. Exactly. And and that's kind of our, our motto is to unplug and interact and, you know, do it this old, the old fashioned way. And, uh, you know, we don't really have any plans on, uh, doing an app or anything like that, mainly because because we want people to unplug and, sure. and have that connection with their family and friends. So, yeah, and I can buy it on your website. I see, and then also on Amazon. Are those the two places? Yep, uh, songgame.com. That's two G's, so S O N G G A M E dot com, um, and Amazon, obviously. And then we actually just got uh, Walmart dot com just sent in their first purchase order. Here. Okay. All right. So you are going to play with Walmart, but just online, which is a whole different ball game, I suspect. Uh, yep. It's a whole different ball game. Okay. So. All right. Um, you mentioned think and grow rich. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? I think, yeah. Atlas shrugged was huge for me. Um, it's a, it's a long book, but I'll tell you what, it really teaches you about the, the power of the individual and the power of your mind. And I think that was, that was a life changer for me. I can see you recommending that book. That makes perfect sense. Um, all right, let's wrap it up. What's one thing, Rob, that you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had? I think the biggest thing is to believe in yourself. Um, you know, understand the, the power of your brain. I mean, 
you're literally the creator of your own thoughts. And so, you know, therefore you're the creator of your own universe. And, you know, if you can remember that and um, eliminate the negative uh, influences that you have in your life, because uh, they're, like I said, they're going to tear you down and hold you back and surround yourself with positive people um, that support you believing in yourself and believing in your idea. I think that's the biggest thing, because if you don't believe, um, it's not going to happen. Yeah, well said. All right, then tell us again uh, where you want us to go online to find out more. Uh, you can check it out at songgame.com, S-O-N-G-G-A-M-E.com, and all our social media handles are on there too, so feel free to follow us. Wonderful. Rob, this has been an interesting conversation. I, I had wanted to get into a lot more of the, you know, the technical details and maybe we'll convince you to come back, but it was, it's so inspiring to listen to the other side of it, the emotional side of it, the mental side of it, because I think at the end of the day, that's, that's really what it takes and a little bit of luck sometimes, but that's really what it takes to persevere in business. In my experience is all that other stuff, right? I, yeah, I think so. And I think that applies to lots of businesses out there. So uh, probably not a bad thing that we didn't get into too much of the technical stuff, but uh, like I said, it, it applies. So uh, thank you for having me on and I'd be happy to come back and talk about the rest some of the time. I appreciate that. Well, this is Henry Lopez and thanks for listening to this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was Rob Ridgeway and we release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also always text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 for more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.